I guess using permaculture principles, there's everything should have uh, multiple uses. So a glasshouse is not just a glasshouse for growing plants. It can be used for lots of things like drying your clothes. Hmm. Yeah. So we've got tomatoes and towels and underwear hanging up in there. <laughs> <laughs> what would you like for dinner? <laughs> Welcome to Wannabe Greener. This is the podcast exploring some of the simple ways that we can adjust our lifestyles to lower the impact we have on the environment. I'm Harriet Robinson and this episode we're talking about living self-sufficiently. Now living self-sufficiently is probably the ultimate environmentally friendly way to live. Caroline Murray lives in a beautiful home in Whitman's Valley in New Zealand where she owns a blueberry farm and she's been living self-sufficiently for nearly 30 years so this has included milking her own house cow then making ghee butter from that milk to power her tractor using solar power for energy baking her own bread growing her own fruit and vegetables she even wrote a book about it a few years ago called Mastering the Art of self-sufficiency in New Zealand. It's a little bit hard to get your hands on a copy. I actually tried to get one from a bookshop near me and somebody else had already nabbed it. Um, But if you can, it's a few years old, but definitely worth a read. Now, not everyone can live like Carolanders. I live in a, you know, I live in an apartment in a city and obviously I'm not going to be milking my own house cow. But um, there are lots of ways that we can implement some of her ideas into our everyday lives. And I found my conversation with Caroline super inspiring. She's obviously very happy living this way and actually finds it really easy now she's been doing it for so long. And some things she just doesn't do anymore because it's just too time consuming or just not efficient for her lifestyle. But I don't want the people that I interview to be these perfect people. I don't want to speak to people who are 100% zero waste or 100% self-sufficient because, well, actually, if they exist. It's just unrealistic, isn't it? And actually quite intimidating. But Caroline is doing pretty much as much as she physically can, which is amazing. Now, we met on a beautiful sunny day. Uh, And just to describe, I drove up to her house, kind of winding around a mountain, got to the top and her two dogs greeted me in the driveway. She's got a huge garden all around her house and you can hear the chickens in the background. You can see the blueberry farm to the right. And then she kind of greeted me at the car and walked me straight into her laundry room uh, because that's where she was. She was in the middle of doing her washing. So she said, come with me and you can see this straight away. Uh, You can see the bees buzzing around their hives just across the garden from where we were. I thought what would be nice is if we had a chat in the backyard area of Caroline's house where there were some quite unusual features and I thought it was best if she described it for us. So we're in the picnic area for my um, blueberry customers who come to pick their organic blueberries and I've provided this picnic area for them so that they can come and bring their own lunch. It's somewhere for the kids to hang out. It's not just about picking blueberries. 
But smack in the middle of that is a train carriage, which has always been there. It was there before I got here, and um, I've been here nearly 25 years, and it took me 24 years to get around to renovating it. So that was a huge job, uh, one I'd always wanted to do, but it was difficult because it's not like a normal house. It's made out of metal, so and all different types of metal. So you can't just go around banging things on the wall or you know putting in new windows, etc. So anyway, with a lot of help, that train is now renovated. It's been on Airbnb about a year. It's all about um, eco-living. Uh, everything inside of it is either upcycled or recycled, plastic-free, zero waste. So it's a bit of a back-to-basics, but by the same token, it's got um, modern conveniences. So there's aspects of um, both sort of technology and basic living all combined together. Mm. I think that's something that would be good to talk about today is that, you know, we do live in a modern society and everyone is using technology and we have Mm. very different lifestyles, but a lot of people do want to go back to basics and live Mm. a more sustainable lifestyle. So we'll get onto that in a moment, but I wanted to just know a a bit more about you and why you decided to take this step towards living self-sufficiently, because you weren't, Mm. you, were you doing that at all before you kind of... Well, it, it actually oddly happened when I was living in London, and um, I was at the uh, British Natural History Museum, and I came across a book called E for Additives. This is back in the early or mid eighties, and so I bought the book E for Additives and read through it. And my brother just perchance happened to be in London at the time, so I was staying with him for a week. We went out to do at the supermarket to do some shopping our book with us and we came back with something like a cabbage and a lemon for the weeks (laughs) shopping by the time we'd read all the e-numbers and what they did and how bad they were for you so that I think would be the main thing that actually kick-started me into the fact that bog standard food at the supermarket is full of what I deem to be poisons I mean that will inflame a lot of people but they're things I don't want in my food I don't want my food interfered with I want a carrot to be a carrot and nothing but a carrot you know what I mean fair enough yeah (laughs) one would imagine so but no that is not so they do all sorts of sneaky things to your food that is not on the label so then when I came back to New Zealand um, what had happened previously in New Zealand was uh, the New Zealand people with their taxpayers' money had paid for our electricity, um, you know, our hydroelectricity, etc. And then our government in, I can't remember, I think I'm pretty sure it was still the 80s, um, Rogernomics, he, they sold it. They privatised it. And I thought, how dare you? How dare you? The New Zealand people worked and paid for that so we could have our own electricity and you go sell it to the Canadians. So that made me angry. So I was angry about what people did to food without telling you. I was angry about them selling um, selling our electricity, which we we then had to buy back off the Canadians. So I thought, (laughs) pack it a lot of you. I want to grow my own food, produce my own power, and um, just stay away from that sort of environment where basically you were being lied to the whole time. So um, eventually in the mid-90s, bought the farm and went organic the minute we landed on the farm and really just started from there. So that was 95, but it wasn't until 2005 that I started going 100% self-sufficient at that point. Well, 
I'm not sure if you can always call it 100% self-sufficient, but as much as I possibly could. So um, got a Jersey cow, milking my house cow, making all the dairy products that come from that, growing enough vegetables to last for a year, um, learning all the techniques for processing that because I don't like vinegar. Um, and so I had to get a contraption over from the States, a pressure canner, so that I could um, preserve all the veggies. But it's little things like working out. How many onions do you eat in a year? You know? <laughs> so, so you go through all those processes, which rainy winter days are good for. Um, big learning curve because uh, everything I had to learn, I had to learn through books because Google wasn't really um, up and running that well with that sort of information at that time. Um, yeah, so, and then unfortunately also in 2005 I had a, um, a horse riding accident and a spinal injury which kind of slowed me down a wee bit, but um, yes, still kept going. So it's just things like producing your own firewood, you know, chopping down the trees, getting a log splitter. Um, How difficult was it for you when you did start doing this properly in the 90s? Mm-hmm. Because... I mean, did, did you have a job? Did you have to quit your job? Did it cost you a lot of money? Did you have to kind of invest in into living self-sufficiently? So I'd been sort of chipping away at it for a few. So in, moved into the property in 95. Um, so planted a lot of fruit trees then and got the veggie garden up and going, etc., etc. And then little by little, year by year, things were added. So it wasn't a huge outlay in one hit. So in 1999, the solar hot water went up uh, and some solar electric. And then in 2004, the wind, ti- wind turbine went up. Um, so yeah, little by little, if you had to pay for everything on one hit, you'd fall over backwards and die. Um, but yeah, just chipping away at it bit by bit. And as you sort of realised that I needed jars for preserving, then you'd get a whole pile of second-hand ones, you know, and you'd talk to people and their mothers would have cupboards full of them, you know, and they didn't know what to do with them. So if you had your arms open for them, they were more than happy to give them to you. Yeah, so, so it was little by little. But how I know you said you read a lot of books, but mm. is this something that just do you do you feel like it comes naturally to you? Because I don't know if I have the commitment <clears throat> to sit down and learn how to do all of these things to to live self sufficiently. Sure, yeah, and I did have the commitment, and not everyone is going to have it, and that's fine. Anything you do helps, so. Don't feel that you have to go the whole hog because not everyone's going to A, want to or B, be able to. So, But any little thing you do that is a step away from consumerism and that helps the environment. Every single bit of it just helps the environment. So what I've been noticing a lot on Facebook at the moment is, is things like... Um, Everyone's very much into the the ocean and what's happening with the ocean life and all the plastic that's in there. But there's a lot of dot joining that's not occurring here with things like what you do in your life. Even though you don't throw something in the ocean, you're having an impact somewhere else. Like I'm not sure if people know that tea bags have got plastic in them. You know, um, your shampoos, your conditioners have got microplastics in your your body moisturizers, you know, all these little things we're not aware of. So you don't actually a lot of the time realise how much damage you're causing. 
for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I just wondered, oh, it'd be nice to know everything, not everything, I'm sure you can't list everything, <laughs> but everything that you do do, because it's quite inspiring. I mean, mm-hmm. when I first got here, we took a little walk around and you were hanging up your washing. So can you tell us some of the things that, that you do? <clears throat> I'll try. I'm not sure if I can remember them all. Um <laughs> So let's start with the laundry. So um, my solar-powered clothes dryer is either two things, a clothesline that you have outside where everything dries in the sun, or my glass house. So using permaculture principles where something should always have uh, be multifunctional, the glass house not only grows vegetables, but it's my clothes dryer as well because it's a lot warmer in there. Um, For me... The two main places for anyone to start is kitchen and bathrooms um, because they contain the biggest nasties in a household. So things like um, cling film or glad wrap as we call it uh, and tin foil are probably the first things to be eliminated from the kitchen. And things like if you're wondering what sort of cover to put over your bowl that's going in the fridge, just put a dinner plate or a side plate on top. And not only that, then you can stack them as well so you don't actually need cling film um if you want to use uh tin foil just find something that's got a lid on top you know buy a casserole dish that's got a lid (laughs) (laughs) so those sort of things um cleaning products are the next ones so you may not be ready to start making your own cleaning products and not have time or the inclination and that's fine but you can swap to something that is a well-known brand of environmentally friendly you know cleaning products same with toothpaste there's a lot of different options with toothpaste you can make your own castile soap and use that for shampoo and you will not end up looking like Wurzel Gummidge I can assure you <laughs> well tell me about this because we were talking about this earlier mm. I um I buy shampoo but I, I refill it at the shop but mm. obviously it's still got a lot of ingredients and you just use castile soap mm. how did you discover that, that this was going to work on your hair? Um, okay, so what I did was I had no idea what I was going to end up looking like. I thought I was going to end up looking like I'd stuck my fingers in a power socket and looked like Albert Einstein. But so what I did was I made sure I had nowhere to go that day and that no one was coming around to visit me just in case my hair went... <laughs> so anyway, so I washed my hair and when I dried it, I thought, oh my God, it's better than any shampoo I have ever used because my hair was really silky and I couldn't believe it. I really could not believe it. So all the woofers who are coming through, there's there's a couple of things I teach them is I teach them how to make the bread and I won't let them use their own shampoo in the shower until they've tried the Castile soap and once they've tried it, they are so gobsmacked that they don't bother using their own shampoo anymore. I need to do this. Uh, For anyone that doesn't know, what is Castile soap and Uh, how's it made? Okay, Castile soap is um, from Spain, from Castile in Spain. And the reason for that is is because it's olive oil based. So you don't need all these coconut oils and almond oils and this oil and that oil. All you need is olive oil and a really low grade olive oil too, not a high grade one. Um, Olive oil, water and caustic soda that you get from a hardware store, typically in the drain cleaning department. Um, You can Google the Castile soap recipe. It's the easiest one in the world to make. All you do is, the only difficult part of it is getting your 
caustic soda and your water at the same temperature as the olive oil so that's just a bit of tweaking um, caustic soda is very dangerous stuff so do be aware that you know it'll eat through your skin and anything else it touches but, normally, <laughs> but not once it's made into soap no 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 it, it, there's a curing process where it takes about between four and six weeks to cure before you can use it but you you, you can make 12 or 24 bars in a hit and so you may not have to do it more than once a year and you use this for more than shampoo? Yep, I grate it up and mix it with um, borax and washing soda crystals for laundry detergent. Um, I use it in my soap shaker for washing the dishes, so there's zero plastic wa- or zero um, waste in plastic-free dishwashing. Uh, oh, come anywhere near me and you'll get Castile soap <laughs> shoved at you. <laughs> yeah, any, anything that needs cleaning gets done with the Castile soap. And when we were walking around earlier, you were kind of mentioning that everything has several uses. So it's not like you have one thing like the soap and you use it for for just that single use. Mm. It'll have multiple uses. So I guess in your greenhouse, you've got tomatoes in there, but you also use it to dry your laundry. What else gets kind of used multiple times? Gosh, everything really. Um, So sidetracking a little bit, like I was saying to you earlier, what I tend to do is if if I need something, if I if I need a table or if I need something, I'll look around the place and I'll think, what can I change into a table? What can I make into a table? What have I got um, that I can reuse somewhere else? Everything gets reused and repurposed and changed. It just does. It just depends on what I need at the time, you know. Yeah. So I'm not sure if I can answer that directly. <laughs> But everything gets reused. I like mm. that. Um, before you became self-sufficient and you were living here, you were working as a was a beauty therapist. Yep. Mm. How has your life changed? Has it kind of changed your mental well-being or your thought processes? Is is it? How has it kind of affected your life? Um, it's made me more aware of consumerism and. And how consumerism is making people lazy, dumbing people down, um, and I and I can sort of I can understand that because it takes a lot of energy to find out the information you need. You know, to be honest, I've been living this way for so long now. As I said to you on the phone, I don't kind of really understand how other people live. You know, so water wastage is something that really blows my mind if I go into the city and I see how much water people waste you know just in the kitchens it's mm. it's astounding um so obviously I'm on my own water collection systems here but um something I haven't shown you yet is, is like in the in the height of summer I take the u-bends off the kitchen sink and I put a bucket underneath the kitchen sinks to collect the water to put on the garden so no water really gets wasted here at all so yeah it's I tend to find it's better that I stay out on the farm because <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't know I, what to do in the city no not only that but I, I can get a little bit upset when I see how it's, it's about waste how much wastage goes on so like here no food is wasted at all you know the the chickens get any food that's left over or previously when I had pigs they would get anything that was left over so there is no food that is ever wasted I know something you haven't seen yet which you might like to see and that's my methane biodigester just just right, right let's have us. a look let's yeah look. 
So this is something you cannot have in an apartment. <laughs> Though I think Panasonic invented one. But this is something that, that was designed for an urban environment and the Israelis designed it and it's called home biogas. And basically what you do is, is you put your kitchen scraps in one end, you get liquid fertiliser out the other end and you get a bladder that fills up with methane gas which you then have a, um, a little gas burner inside that you can do all your cooking on. On. that one there amazing yep so that's piped into the methane biodigester and so yes yeah, so, so your kitchen scraps if they're not being fed to the chickens etc etc can be used for actually cooking and they've just invented one that hooks up to a composting toilet as well that's so do you have a composting toilet i've got several of course you do <laughs> i don't know why i asked that question stupid question <laughs> So each each of their little rental cottages, they all have a composting toilet in them um, because it's just, once again, it's all about waste. You know? So much water is used in, in toilets. In flushing toilets, yeah. It's about 10 litres of flush. So that's like a watering can or a full bucket for every flush. Yeah, so... Um, um, what do you do about electricity? So we've got solar... Um, I did have a wind turbine for 10 years, but some twat, when they put it up, put a, a non-stainless steel hinge on the mast, yeah. and it rusted out and fell over. <laughs> so what I've decided now is, um, so the wind turbine was brilliant, though I would have to admit a sunny, windy day was a living nightmare because I'd have to run around like a lunatic using all sorts of appliances that used all sorts of huge amounts of electricity, which were things like washing machines and vacuum cleaners, etc. So what I figured out was a sunny, windy day meant I had to do a load of housework. So <laughs> since the wind turbine fell over, um, I decided not to put it back up again because um, I really don't like doing housework. And That is the most Wellington thing I've heard, that the <laughs> wind turbine got blown over or fell over. I know, I know. So... Now I'm going with solar, more solar. So I've always always had solar. Um, I'm just waiting for someone to invent a good quality inverter that n- not only stores your um, or can handle storing your batteries, your power in your batteries, but also feed the excess back to the grid. So there are kind of a few basic ones around, but they're not going to be enough to kind of fill my needs just yet because I've got a huge roof up here which has got no solar on it yet at all and as soon as I can find an an inverter that um, is good enough for what I want then there's just going to be solar panels everywhere. Awesome. Mm. Um, What do you do about clothing? Do you do you I'm guessing you buy clothes? Yes but um, from the second hand shop. Okay. Yeah so everything um, because predominantly most of my clothes are um, farm clothes you know what I mean and they tend to get grubby and awful fairly quickly so yeah no I just go to the second hand shop and buy 90% of them from there Mm. unless I have to be seen out in public and then I have to buy something nice (laughs) (laughs) um when I was talking about coming to do this interview somebody said how how do you feel about um you know you're kind of pretty much off grid mm-hmm. and so I guess you're not kind of part of the economy or part of the system do you mind not kind of do you, do you feel like you're not contributing to the economy or to to um, everyday I do. society I, do. I, I mean I pay tax yeah. 
my reason for being out here is because I don't want to be part of society. You know what I mean? Um, it's it's too consumerist for me. It's a, it's all a little bonkers out there. Um, I don't I don't think the way people think anymore. So it's it's hard for me to interact with some people I mean my friends are fine because they understand what I'm all about so they understand what I used to be like and watch me transition through to a total lunatic as they thought and then kind of you know the pendulum swung and now I'm kind of back in the middle again I'm not as extremist as I used to be Mm. I was going to say you mentioned earlier some of the things that you you obviously can't grow what things can you just not do self-sufficiently anything subtropical in the food department so and I've made all those mistakes of trying to grow pawpaws and um, all sorts of things like that so I actually really have to stick predominantly to what grows in England because the growing environment here is very similar to the growing environment in England so it's things like gooseberries damsons black currants red currants white turnips I love turnips Mm. bring back the turnip I say the turnip is fantastic absolutely adore turnips um yeah very seldom do you see them for sale in a shop, you know. Um, but they're they're a really, really, really good winter food. The old turnip. Um, so yeah, there's kind of also with just on this particular property, I have a short growing season. It's four months. That's it because we get really heavy frosts up here. So it's um, much colder in winter, but much hotter in summer. And we can still get frosts right through till mid December. And um, it was three degrees this morning here. (laughs) It's chilly. (laughs) I know, I know, it's February. So, yeah, you're a little limited. You've got to get your growing done within four months and then it's all over. Unless, obviously, the winter veggies all go in the glasshouse, but the winter veggies are frost tolerant and stuff like that. So you just got to know what you can plant, what you can't plant. But I have made every single mistake there is to make. <laughs> that's what it's about, I guess. It's yeah. a journey. It's, it's how you learn. And that's originally why I wrote my book, was because um, there was little ilks of information that I just couldn't find anywhere. Like, how do you milk a house cow with a single milking machine there was no information on that my god that was a nightmare working that out but we got there eventually um so I sort of filled the book with all the little bits of information that I found really hard to get or and to encourage people um it's kind of like it doesn't matter if you've come from the city I came from the city you know you can come from the city you can still do this stuff you don't need any knowledge. You can, you know, well, there's a lot more out there on Google now. Um, but you can do it. You really can. I mean, you were even uh, talking about milking your own cows. You were then churning ghee and then using the ghee to power your tractor. tractor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this really annoys, annoys me about dairy farmers in New Zealand when they, you know, there's some sort of natural disaster or a flood or a storm or whatever and the tanker can't get to them and they can't milk their cows. You know, what a load of rubbish. For God's sake, they could put solar panels on the top of the milking shed to keep the tanks cold, you know what I mean, after they've milked their cows. They can convert all the flipping cream into butter and make, um, make ghee to run all their flipping and tractors and their machinery they can even make electricity out of it you know it's like i think you need to do a tour around farms no they'd hate me they'd hate me (laughs) (laughs) um i heard you in a a radio interview from a few years back and um 
talking about various topics and one of them was about nappies or diapers however you mm-hmm. say it in New Zealand um, and uh, you were talking about cloth nappies and how you think that everybody should use them and mm. the presenter kind of disagreed with you and said actually no we're really busy you know when you're a mum it's really hard and you don't have time to use cloth nappies but actually um, you kind of mentioned that it's about going back to what we used to do and actually we used to live much more self-sufficiently and everybody Mm -hmm. coped okay Mm, sure so a lot of the self-sufficient living is as you say going backwards look at what people did in the 1800s and the early 1900s and through that time frame look at what they did there was no plastic plastic hadn't even been invented you went to the butchers you got everything wrapped up in paper you had a cane basket that you took with you you know um The nappies is a big one for me, but it actually encompasses a much bigger thought process. So, yes, the presenter said that everyone's too busy. Mm. Okay, so simplify your lifestyle. All right. Instead of having a an expensive house or property in an expensive neighbourhood, get a cheaper house in a cheaper neighbourhood so the mother can stay home with the children. I am really hot on this. If you're going to have kids, they're your kids, they're your responsibility in every way, shape and form, you should be with them. Sure. That's your job. That's your mother. That was your choice. I think, um, you know you mentioned about people being very busy these days we are we just have so many everybody wants to do everything all the time don't they and we don't really kind of sit down and you seem like quite a relaxed person and I think that living this lifestyle is probably really good for you and you're you know slowing down is actually really good for your well-being I'm trying to slow down I'm actually hyperactive so you know slowing down for me is a form of torture but I'm I'm making myself do it um but yeah but it must be nice to live this lifestyle, to be out of the city and mm. to actually feel happy that you're growing your own yeah. food and, and just relying on yourself. Yep. Everything I do here I love, okay? So nothing is a chore, nothing is a job. There's 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 no aspect of being here where I wake up and think, oh, God, I've got to do that today, you know what I mean? Um, that just doesn't happen, you know? It's like, oh, the apples need picking. Right, I'll go pick apples today and do apple juice and stuff, you know? So everything is really good. I, and But I've kind of created that about it, that um, I tend to be a bit stubborn and I only do things I like doing, so therefore I only create things around me that are things I like like doing I even like weeding so you know that's okay for me weeding is a form of um, sit down relax and have thinking time mm. while you're doing the weeding it's not like, oh damn I've got to go do that you know it's like yes I get to sit down yeah a bit therapeutic <laughs> yeah yeah so a lot of it is, is just depends on how you choose to look at it but I very firmly believe if people simplify their lives which is their wants and needs you know if you simplify your wants and needs and there's a bit of ego issues going on in there and keeping up with the Joneses and everything. If you can move away from that and disassociate yourself from that, your um, outgoings will be less. Therefore, perhaps you won't have to work as much to you know, um, try and sustain that lifestyle. And you can start to actually enjoy life a bit more. So on that note, if somebody is living in the city in a shared apartment maybe Mm -hmm. there's three or four of them and they Mm -hmm. want to implement some 
aspect of self-sufficiency into their life we mentioned yeah. it a little bit but what would you think the first steps would be towards doing that I guess it, it, it depends um, on if the property is owned or rented because that makes a difference so I've always said that solar hot water is one of the easiest um, things to start with sure you don't get any water in winter but you know that's that's life you get it all in summer so yeah solar hot water making your food so don't buy any pre-packaged food go to a farmer's market or a local market buy real vegetables spend time as a group making dinner together you know what I mean so so you can sit down over the kitchen table while someone's peeling spuds and the other person's chopping carrots and the other person's putting a pot on you know what I mean make it make it a social event and know the you get a real good um, buzz out of eating good food that is made with friendship. I won't say love because I don't love food, but it's made with friendship, you know, of people sitting around chatting, maybe having a glass of wine or home brew that they've made themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, while you're doing that and just do things more together. Put the phones down, put the screens down, talk to people. And. Is there, are there any? Do you know of any kind of plants or vegetables or or um, herbs that you can grow in your own apartment or your own house really easily? Yeah, there's. Um, if if you go online and look up vertical growing, if anyone's got a tiny little veranda space, there's heaps of things you can grow vertically. You know, growing straight up out of pots. So there's there's the obvious things. There's basil and parsley and chives and thyme and yeah, m- most of your herbs you can. I always kill basil. I get, sometimes it'll stay for like a week, and I think I've got it, and then it dies. Yep, you need a bigger pot. Oh yeah, a bigger pot with good good quality compost or potting mix in there. Yeah, because those little ones you buy from the supermarket are in the tiny little plastic mm. pots. Um, they have only got enough nutrition in them to sustain them for that short space of time. Oh. So you then have to go buy another one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. false economy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So just just have a bigger pot. And sure, you can still buy the one from the supermarket, but when you get it home, put it in a slightly bigger pot with fresh potting mix. Mm, it'll last heaps longer. You'll see this food everywhere. There's a grapevine up there, apple tree, peach tree, pear tree, another apple tree, plum tree, feijoas, another apple tree. Cool. There's damsons around the corner. There's food everywhere. It's all about food. <laughs> you can't live without food. So obviously I appreciate you're not going to have a firewood stack and be chopping down trees or milking a house cow, but there are a lot of things you can do. Probably the three things that I would say would be the main things you can start off doing. Are if you Google a bread recipe called No Need Bread, uh, it's a ciabatta. Ciabatta? I can never say that word properly. Ciabatta? Yeah, I never ciabatta. know. <laughs> it's really nice bread. Um, and it's so easy peasy to make. No bread maker, no nothing. Um, you don't even have to knead it. So the No Need Bread recipe... Castile soap is the other thing that is, it's only three ingredients, olive oil, water and caustic soda, which you can buy at any hardware store. Um, That is so easy to make. Preserving a lot of your own food. So I understand that in an apartment space is obviously limited, but how you go about doing that is when food is in season, go down to your local farmer's market, 
buy a box load of tomatoes, make pasta sauce, you know, with your onions and your herbs and everything, and get that either bottled or frozen. Um, you can you can buy any fruit or veggies you want down there. Buy it in bulk, process it, whether it be jams or chutneys or marmalades or whatever, and process it. But you have to do all that when that stuff's in season and it's cheap. And and eating in season must be something that you think is really important as well, because now we eat any fruit and veg at any time of the year, pretty much. And mm. actually, not only is that not environmentally friendly but it's actually not that healthy for you either. No, because um, obviously, so say say in Europe, a lot of your um, food will come from New Zealand and Australia or South America because just the northern and southern hemispheres, different seasons, you know. So, you know, you've got to tack on your food miles to that, plus packaging, storage, transport costs, et cetera, et cetera. And for me, eating seasonally is just so much a part of my life, I don't even think about it, you know. You typically tend to go out to the garden and you decide what you're having for, for dinner from what's in the garden. And it's it's really as simple as that. That's not to say that I don't buy food. I still buy, there's things like flour and sugar and tea and coffee and salt and pepper and spices and, you know, all that sort of stuff you still need to buy because... Um, the environment here doesn't allow you to grow everything. Plus, I haven't got enough time to do all that. And if you look, if you look at the cost of growing rice versus buying rice, you wouldn't do it. Mm. Simple as that. And you know, you can't do everything. And I think there's a lot of pressure mm. on everybody. I know, I know, you do live self-sufficiently, but it's mm. taken you a long time, and yep. you've committed your life to it. But we shouldn't be hard on ourselves for not being able to do that. And actually, no. you don't milk your own cow anymore. No, no, because the blueberries have taken over my life. So I've had to cut down on a lot of the self-sufficient aspects because I'm very much of the opinion: if you're going to do something, do one thing and do it well versus trying to do 10 things and only being half-assed about most of them, you know. So we're here in your garden, you've got your cows here, you have your train, which you use for Airbnb. Um, You also have your blueberry farm, Mm -hmm. which um, creates a lot of your income. So in terms of self-sufficiency, also your income is self-sufficient too. Yes, it is. Um, So yes, there's the blueberries, there's the Airbnb. I've got three little rental cottages which are permanently rented on the property. And then the soap shakers, of course. So it's really a case of not having all your eggs in one basket because I could do all horticulture and that would be easy for me to do, but that's all my eggs in one basket. And with climate change, I didn't want to do that. So we've got some horticulture accommodation and the internet-based soap shakers. So you've kind of, if one goes wrong, then you've still got something else as as, as a backup. So that that's 90% of um, my income comes from those things. And then um, I actually have two other kind of weirdo little jobs where I teach beekeeping for um, a company called Land-Based Training. And then I also work over on James Cameron's food forest in the Wire Wrapper. Um, he's got rather a large food, well, it's 20 acres, no, 20 hectares, which is 50 acres. That's very cool. James yes. Cameron's. Yes, I know, but I never see him. No. <laughs> it's not like we sit down and have cups of tea or anything. Um, and then, I'm, so the, the last part of my sort of equation of income generation is setting up, uh, finishing, setting up my little food forest over here for teaching um, purposes, which will be teaching about food forests, um, urban permaculture, and an introduction to permaculture. So that should be up and going in about a year. 
You don't sit still, do you? No, I have ants in my pants. But the other thing you do as well is you um, have woofers come... I, I never remember what it stands for. Do you? Okay, so Woofers stands for Willing Workers on Organic Farms, or they've kind of changed it now to something else. But um, to be honest, Help Exchange and Workaway are the two main sites now that most people are using, but the the idea is behind, or the premise behind them is the same. So really, they it's pretty much backpackers who come and they stay with you. They work for five hours a day, five days a week in exchange for food and accommodation. Um, and so it's an opportunity for people to come and live in an environment like this and experience it kind of first hand um, and the thing that surprises them the most is the soap and the bread when I say to them right you're going to need to make your own bread they have a look of utter mortification on their faces and then such complete and utter sheer delight when they make their first bread they just go oh my god that was so easy and delicious yes yes and then of course you know not so much now but you'd have butter from the cow and jam from the you know the fruits outside and they'd just be totally thrown blown away by that and then of course using making soap and using the soap for both the dishes and their shampoo and stuff I think probably the most common common I get from the woofers is we had no idea how easy it was to do this stuff. It's a good way to, to get inspired if you were thinking, you know, I'd like to sample this lifestyle, but I'm not sure if I'm ready yet. Go and yeah. spend a week on an organic farm. Yep, exactly. And and there'll be different things that you'll take, you know, because what I do may not suit you or your lifestyle, but you'll pick up a little something and then you go stay at a different farm and you'll pick up a little, you know, something from there as well. And eventually you'll kind of work out what's going to work for you and what's not going to work for you because everyone's different. Do you think you're still going to be living this lifestyle when you're, you know, 80 years old? <laughs> no, I'm going to become a class A drug addict when I'm 80 years <laughs> You've old. You've got that poppy field. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 the reason for that is because everyone says you can't take class A drugs when you're young because you'll ruin your life. And I figure by the time I get to 80, who cares? <laughs> so a lot of what I do... Um, you can't see, like, these tables were made from my old tractor tyres. So what I tend to do is look around the property. It's like, what have I got? I've got X. Okay, so how can I make X work and be functional for me? You know what I mean? Um, so we just got some plywood and made the tops. And, yeah, we've got these cute mm. little tables. I put a bit of a shout-out on uh, Instagram that I was going to speak to you and had a couple of questions. First, Adam said... What's the worst thing about living self-sufficiently? Is this something a bit horrible or gross or something that is just a pain to do? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, emptying out the composting toilets if they overflow. Mm. That's top of the list of bad. <laughs> I imagine. Mm-hmm. Are, are all the toilets compost? Not all of them. There's, there's, so the one in my house was already there. That's flushing. So I get the flushing toilet. Um, there's one, two, three composting toilets. So there's two flushing toilets and three composting toilets. Mm. Do you ever um, kind of get really frustrated with something and just go, oh, do you know what? I'm just going to go and buy, buy it. I can't do it. Um, I did that in one of the rentals um, one of the composting toilets there it was outside thank god um, I couldn't get rid of the insects no matter what I did I could not get rid of the, the, a little gnat they're called like a sewerage fly mm. 
No matter what I did, I could not get rid of them. So when I turned it from the woofer cottage into a rental, I just went, that's it. I cannot charge people money for <laughs> for that, you know. So took out the composting toilet and put in a, a flushing toilet in there. That was probably the singular most thing where I just got completely fed up. I've, I've been trying for like three years to, and I tried every environmental thing known to mankind to try and get on top of it. And that particular toilet, I just couldn't. Fair enough. And some said, uh, do you use plastic at all? Yes, I do. Um, what? So how I work with that is I use the plastic I've got, but I won't buy any more plastic. So if I go to buy something like a bucket, I'll buy a stainless steel bucket. Um, anything I go to buy, I'll look at it, and if it's plastic, I'll think to myself, can I get an alternative that is not plastic and if I think yes so even something like a spatula you know what I mean I think actually yes I can so I won't buy the plastic one I'll go and find something else which can be inconvenient at the time but by the same token not all plastic is bad Okay, so some things are better in plastic, but I think we need to reduce and get rid of single-use plastics. I think that's the first place to start, get rid of all single-use. And, you know, yeah, there are occasional things that are just better made in plastic. And like you said, it's about using what you've already got. It's yeah. kind of it's not zero waste. If you have something plastic, throw it out and get something wooden in its place. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but just think about it. When you go to pick something up in a shop and it's plastic, you just have that thought process. Is there a, a different option that I can get that is not plastic? And then go do that if you can, you know. Even things like, you know, your scrubbies for washing the dishes and stuff like that. Um. One last question. Um, you talked a, a little bit about making your own medicine mm-hmm. um, in your book. How do you go about doing that? Do you and do you only make your own medicine, or do you still go to the doctor? No. So there's a, a lot of the aspects of me being self-sufficient are geared towards um, Wellington being a serious earthquake risk. More so than so, the medicinal side of it is more from that perspective than a day to day perspective. Okay, um, so things like I've got the opium poppies growing and a whole bunch of herbs and things like that, which I don't use on a <laughs> I wouldn't want to be using opium on a day to day basis, but <laughs> no, but they're there if I need them. Um, my medicinal knowledge is not huge but I have a lot of books there on it so if I do need to read up on it um, I've got a lot of the plants there and the books to read if I have to. So Mm. if if tomorrow you were cut off from the world what would happen? I'd be okay. as, even as a baby, the, my mother said the one thing about me that was really obvious was I like to be comfortable. So if there's going to be a major disaster, I would like to do it in comfort, thank you, mm-hmm. um, versus living in a plastic tent. So um, I would, I'll be okay. For There's another thing that you could actually do, not so much if you live in an apartment, but if you live in a an urban area, is you get a little seed bank. So a seed bank is just like... 10 or 20 packets of seeds of veggies that you just keep in a little box that you save for emergencies. So, And they're all going to take three months to grow, but you've got something. 
because we, we learned big lessons from what happened in Christchurch and how long it took to recover from the big Christchurch earthquake and that really gave us Wellingtonians a good insight into how much worse it's going to be for us. So yeah, ha- having a little seed bank so at least you've got some basic veggies there. I buy all my food in bulk so like if I buy a bag of sugar I'll buy a 25kg bag of sugar I sure as hell don't buy a 1kg bag of sugar um, which brings you back to the storage again you need good secure storage for stuff like that so um, I'm not even sure what the original question was Oh, I'm not either. Now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, would you be? Would you be okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I've got like three months worth of food stored easily. I've got all the knowledge, um, the equipment, the seed bank. So, if anything like that happened, first thing I do is just crank up the main gardens back again, and because um, I wouldn't have to worry about the blueberries too much at that point, because there'd be no one coming to pick them. And so, yeah, I, I've kept all my equipment. I've, you know, I've still got my Jersey cows. Um, so everything. Would just at the moment everything's just kind of um, on hold. But if there was a major disaster, then I've got everything there ready to go, just to crank straight back up and launch into it again, a hundred percent. You're so organised. Yeah, I'm kind of come from a family of bossy women, <laughs> <laughs> bossy, highly organised women. Yes. Do you feel hopeful? There's a lot of people now who are trying to live self-sufficiently, trying to go zero waste, trying to reduce their impact on the environment. Do you feel? kind of hopeful about that that I do, the I world's do. becoming a better place I do um, and, and just just to give you an insight with the, the soap shakers that I manufacture and sell for doing your dishes is that I've been doing that for 12 years and they've just been like trickle sales and that was all I ever imagined it was going to be now in plastic free July just in New Zealand I'd be selling 30 a day wow yeah and so they've gone international now. They're in Europe and the States and Australia and New Zealand and pretty much everywhere. And this is the first year they've gone international. And with Plastic Free July cranking up, I mean, it just shows you the awareness that people now have um, of plastic free and zero waste. Mm. It's awesome. I'm definitely going to get one now. <laughs> but like you said, they were kind of something that people used to use and they got forgotten about and you wanted one. Yeah. And you couldn't find one. So you just created one yeah just had them manufactured um it's as simple as I'm, I'm very much one of those sort of people i'm a dewy people not not a talk about things people person um so yeah if you want something you just go and do it so i just had them manufactured and yeah they're really taking off now mm. amazing you're very inspiring so thank you for having me <laughs> okay nice to meet you harriet <laughs> I really enjoyed my chat with Caroline Murray. If you can get your hands on a copy of her book, it's called Mastering the Art of Self-Sufficiency in New Zealand. And she's actually looking into creating an e-book version of it, which would be brilliant if she does. I hope she manages to to get that done. Um, And it's definitely made me think more about getting creative and making more and not relying on just buying everything and kind of letting my laziness take over. Um, I've put a link to Caroline's website on Instagram with contact details if you're interested in woofing at her farm or anything else that she gets up to because there's a a whole bunch of things. Um, And that website for the soap shakers is soapshakers.com nice and easy they're literally just a, a kind of metal basket with a long handle and you put a soap inside the metal basket shake it around in your sink and then you get bubbles it's simple but genius 
I'd love to know what you think about Carol Ann's lifestyle. Is it too much? Could you take anything away from that that you maybe could implement into your own lifestyle? Uh, get in touch, wannabegreener at gmail.com or um, send me a message on Instagram at wannabe.greener. I'd love to hear a bit of feedback or if there's some questions that I didn't ask that I should ask next time. I'd like this to be quite an interactive kind of podcast so that we're actually answering the questions that we all have rather than just kind of talking about it in a very highbrow way and not really getting down to the nitty gritty of it. So thank you very much for listening. I will see you next time to talk about more green stuff. Bye. Bye.